0: It's true that the law of the Lord is perfect and that it converts the soul, that it does wonderful and magnificent things. And that's why we've come together on this particular occasion this morning to worship our God, to study from his word, because it teaches us about salvation, provides for us the way to redemption and gives us the salvation that we can enjoy through Jesus the Christ, I invite you to open your Bibles back to First Corinthians, where our good brother read for us a few moments ago in Chapter 11, and helping us to think about the Lord's Supper. But this time, open if you would to the first chapter, where we're going to spend a lot of time this morning, and we'll examine some passages that are probably familiar to you, perhaps, but maybe uh, are ones that we've skipped over before in 1 Corinthians. While you're opening there and getting settled there, thank you so much for being here. As Brother John pointed out, we have a number of visitors with us, people from all over the country. And we're so thankful for you and thankful for your presence, for joining with us with our church family today. And for our members, we're glad to see you as always as well. We don't take you for granted either. We're all valuable and important and we're all trying to do what God asks us to do. And I hope that this morning that as we think about the cross and the message of the cross, we can appreciate the lesson and our time together today. Glad that you're here. I want to begin by just leaning very heavily on the text today, and we're going to lean very heavy on 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the second half. In the first half of the first chapter, it's a lot about division. And sectarianism. And this is where you have the famous statement where Paul makes, for example, in verse 17, he says, I was not sent by Christ to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So he says, I want you to understand why I came, what my purpose as an apostle was, and is, and will be. And so we're going to begin reading in verse 18, and we're going to read down through the end of the chapter. We'll read it as we sometimes do very quickly, but then come back and make four simple observations about the text that I think are important. He says, in conclusion, the the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 26, four, you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, those things God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories... Let him glory in the Lord. And that's the end of the first chapter. And again, we know that when Paul was writing, he wasn't writing in chapters and and verses, but rather was just writing pages or paragraphs or different thoughts. And this seems to be a a fairly uh, appropriate place to end here because the chapter could go on. Uh, long have said I wouldn't envy the people that had to divide up the chapters and verses because invariably someone's going to have something to say bad about you in the way that you divided those chapters and verses. But this is the the focus of our text today, the message of the cross. Let me suggest to you four very simple messages of the cross. Number one, one of the things that Paul points out here is that that message is going to be different to different people depending on your heart, depending on your ears, depending on your eyes, it's going to be different to different people. And he mentions, it seems to me, two different groups of people here in the first couple of verses and then later in the text as it develops. And he starts by speaking to those who are perishing, that is to those who are not Christians and to those who do not seek to become Christians. It really falls in with what we could talk about in Mark chapter 3, with those who are no longer interested in hearing what the Holy Spirit has to say, there remains no more sacrifice for them, Hebrews chapter 10 talks about. And there are people that you and I know, people that you and I love, maybe our family, maybe a friend, maybe a close coworker. That you've tried to talk about spiritual things with them, you've tried to talk about church things with them, and they are just not interested. And there is virtually nothing that you can do except having planted those seeds, move forward to someone who is more interested in the truth. Those individuals are perishing. And when they hear the cross, when they hear what you and I are doing today, it is to them a stumbling block or foolishness. Drop down to verse 23. It says, we preach Christ crucified. It is to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Now there's certainly something to be said about the spirit of the first century and what was going on with the Jews and the Greeks and their cultures in this particular time. But let's just keep it simple this morning that those of the world, who are not interested in spiritual things are going to look at what we do as being foolishness or a stumbling block in their way. A physical or a worldly outlook blinds one from seeing the greatness of the gospel message. Just turn over a page to chapter 2 and verse 14 where he says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. A natural man or one who is carnal or one in the world cannot appreciate spiritual things. And so we look at the message of the cross, we look at God's word and we say I love studying this this book. We sing the BIBLE. Yes, that's the book for me. And this is the book that defines who we are and what we do and what we say and how we act and how we react. This governs every aspect of our life. But the rest of the world says this is a a a, a book of foolishness and and nonsense. And I hope I hope that we can dispel that a little bit, especially with what I talked about a few weeks ago when looking at the authenticity of Scripture and the fact that there is so much truth to it. Furthermore, just a few pages back in your Bibles, in Romans chapter 8 in verse 6, there the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, to be carnally minded or worldly-minded, or naturally-minded, he says, is death. But to be spiritually-minded is life and peace. And the reason for that is, verse 7, that the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. And so you and I are individuals who hopefully are not in this first category of individuals, those who are perishing, not that we are perfect and not because of our own redemptive possession power, but because of what God has done in our lives, which then brings us to the second group of individuals, and that is to those who are being saved. That's not my phrase. That's the Holy Spirit's phrase as used both in verse 18. As well as in verse 24, to those who are called or to those who are saved. Paul, we know, knew from a very personal and intimate space the power of salvation. That's why he talked about the gospel as being that power unto salvation in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, the verse that we quote so often from the first chapter of the book of Romans. And so we need to also appreciate the power of God as well in our own lives. And that should lead us not only to be excited about it in our lives, but to then be more apt to share that with others with whom we come in contact. So the first powerful truth of the gospel of Christ, of the of the message of the cross, is to just put it out there. It's going to mean different things to different people. And it may be that there is someone who is here this morning, not a Christian, or someone who's listening or watching this particular uh, sermon and say, you know what? I don't believe in in God's word. I don't believe in Jesus Christ as a son of God. We'd like to talk further about that because your soul is at stake and that matters more than anything else. But It may be that it seems foolish to you that a bunch of people would come together on the Lord's day like this and sing songs and pray to a God that you can't see and partake of bread and drink some fruit of the vine. And you do all these different things, not just because it's ritualistic, but because it's what the Lord has commanded us to do. It's going to mean different things to different people. Let me suggest, secondly, that we need to appreciate that when you think about the message of the cross as compared to man's message, there is really no comparison. Man's message disappoints. Compared to the message of the cross, man's message always fails to measure up. Not just some of the time, but all the time. The message that you get that your physical education is more important or that your academic education, maybe I should say, is more important or that your uh, 401K is more important or that your family status in the community is more important. All these things that the world says matter are the things that don't matter to those of us who are Christians. Not that we don't want to be well-educated and talk well, and speak well, and, and read well. And it's not that we don't care about our status among others. We do want to be respected in the community. That's better than being not respected. And, and it's nice to have a little bit of income and a little bit of savings. But man's message is rooted in human learning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19, he says, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. In a throwback quote to Isaiah chapter 29. But then in the very next verse, in verse 20, he says, where is the wise? And then he says, where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? We'll talk about those three here in just a couple of seconds. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And there are people that you and I interact with who are so rooted in the wisdom of the world and they want to draw us into that kind of climate wherein we are now associated with thinking about the very next best thing or the next thing on social media or the thing on the news. The fact is, is man's message is rooted in human learning, and it is a message that disappoints. Now, there's three different categories of people that I thought we might just explore for uh, two to three minutes together today. The first is those who are wise. And it seems as, he, again, going back to the era of the first century that we need to appreciate the wise Greek philosophers turn over if you would to Acts chapter 17 and you already know as good Bible students where we're turning in our passage here but you remember what was happening in Acts chapter 17 that Paul was preaching to a group of people who were excited to hear something new but that's the problem they were only excited to hear the things that were new they weren't excited to digest it They weren't excited about the idea of a new life that could be found in Jesus the Christ. And so in chapter 17, down in about verse 18, certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and said, what does this babbler want to say? Now that word babbler uh, is used in a number of different translations in the New King James Version, for example. uh, Some actually use the word seed picker and that's beyond the scope of our time together today. But it's the idea that, that, Paul is almost out of his mind that he's uh, picking out these seeds and that he's babbling in a way that just doesn't make sense. What does he have to say? Some said, however, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and they brought him out to Mars Hill. May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? By the way, that's a good sermon title if you're looking to write a sermon. The New Doctrine, which you speak of. For you are bringing some strange thing to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. And then in a broad paintbrush of the Athenians, the Holy Spirit says that the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but to either tell or hear some new thing. That sounds really uh, kind of cool in the world. Well, I want to hear something new, and I want to learn something new, and I want to be able to say something new. But the fact is, is we aren't just interested in hearing new things. In fact, those of us as Christians, we are pretty much interested in tell me the old, old story, Right? Tell me the same thing over again. Tell it to me a little bit differently, maybe if you're the preacher or the Bible class teacher. But we are interested in the old story, not in new things. In fact, Galatians chapter 1 tells us that if someone comes and tells us something that is new and different from what we have heard here, which was once delivered, Jude 3, that we are not to listen to those individuals He says, it is not for those who are wise. He says, where is the scribe? And he says here that it probably has something to do with the Jewish scholars of the day. We won't take the time to go back and read all 17 verses in Matthew chapter 23. But this is the famous woe section, the W O E section, where Jesus says, Woe unto you, you scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. And he says, The reason that I'm saying woe to you is because you need to wake up and realize that the things that you're concerned about and the things that that you are putting as weighty matters are the things that don't really matter or the things that you've gotten in reverse. Put me first and everything else will fall into place. And then in the New King James Version, the word that is used here in verse 20 is the word disputer. Some of you might have the word debater. And that's the idea of consider if you would Paul's command in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 and verse 16, which is the passage that came to mind for me in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 and verse 16. He says, shun profane and idle babblings for they will increase to more ungodliness. It seems to me that we live in a world that is filled with people who are interested in talking an awful lot about things that do not matter. And we have to be the ones to rein our neighbors, our friends, sometimes our own family members back in and say, you know what, let's talk about something that really matters. And there's nothing wrong with talking about sports. There's nothing wrong with talking about the weather. There's nothing wrong with talking about the latest investment. But there's something very wrong with all that worldliness and then never getting down to the spiritual things that really matter the most. And we as a congregation and I as an individual have to be careful to make sure that that's not the extent of our conversations, all those secular things of the world, but that we are also talking about spiritual things as well. Recently had a uh, study with someone and we were talking about the idea of how are you doing spiritually spiritually? And in some ways, it's an uncomfortable question to be asked by someone, whether it be a preacher or an elder or just uh, uh, a, a member of the Lord's church, which is just as vital as anybody else. How are you doing spiritually? That matters more than how you're doing physically, how you're doing financially, how your fantasy sports team is doing. That matters, all that stuff. And that may come as a surprise that it matters more than those things to those in the world, but not to those of us who are concerned with the fact that God's message matters the most. When it comes to man's message, it is concerned with some sort of physical proof or visible change. But God's message is designed to save believers, not to change them physically. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. See, you and I are doing something that is foolish in the eyes of the world. And to your neighbors who see you drive out every Sunday morning or every Sunday night or Wednesday evening or whatever the case may be, and they know that you are spiritually minded, it may seem a little bit odd to them that you are involved in something that is so important to you that it matters more than anything else in the world. But it matters to you more than anything else in the world. And that's because it matters that much. It says in verse 22 that the Jews were looking for a visible sign and that the Greeks looked for earth-based wisdom. But the power of the gospel is about a change in one's heart. And to quote from Luke chapter 6, verse 43, the fruits testify to the tree. And the idea there is that you and I are to be fruit-bearing And that you and I are to not just be individuals who are seeking something that is new or seeking something that is different because man's message disappoints. And that's the message that we're not interested in. I mean, I I would hope that if I came and preached some alternative gospel, some alternative message, or something that was contrary to what the, 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 the God's word is teaching us that you would at the very least be disappointed and at the most perhaps would come to me and say, that was not the message of the cross that was preached today because we preach Jesus Christ and we preach him crucified. Let me suggest to you thirdly that we need to appreciate that the message of the cross is one for those of a humble nature. Paul here describes the kinds of people God's message impacts. And it seems to me that what he does is just nicely outline on the left the things that it doesn't involve, and on the right, as we're going to put on the screen, the things that it does involve. So look, if you would, in verse 26. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Some of you may have the uh, the term well-born or born well for the idea of nobility there. So what happens here is you've got the wise. Worldly knowledge is not critical. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't appreciate worldly knowledge of the world in an academic fashion. But I've long said that if your kids and my kids and our grandchildren, if you've got grandchildren, if the people that you care about, if they aren't that educated, they don't have that much school or book learning, but yet they are faithful servants of God, then you have done a good job as a parent or as a grandparent in instructing them about what really matters. Because what really matters is not how many degrees or letters that are after your name, though that's great to have that, what matters is the fact that you are a child of God. And to those of you that are parents of very young children, you will be surrounded by other parents who are talking about how smart their children are, how gifted they are, how they got into the gifted and talented program, or maybe they excelled and skipped a grade, or, you know, my little Johnny does math better than your little Susie, or whatever the case may be. You know, your response probably should just be, that's wonderful. It could be, bless your heart <laughs> in the South, right? But what you go home and say is, I want my child to do his math well and reading well and all that kind of good stuff, but I really want him to go to heaven because that matters more than anything else. The mighty, worldly power doesn't make us special. And you think about it, those who are powerful, those who are mighty, those who are individuals who have authority, are individuals that we look up to and we say, well, it'd be nice to have that kind of power. It'd be nice to, to be able to speak and the stock market goes up or down based on your words. It'd be nice to be able to speak in foreign nations. Uh, maybe, maybe you say, no, I, I, w- I don't want that to happen. But you understand the point that I'm making is that Paul here is saying, and the Holy Spirit is telling us, those things don't matter. You could be the wisest person, you could be the most powerful person, or you could be the most noble person. Upper class doesn't make us, doesn't define us. And so one of the great things about the gospel message is that God calls all of us to be individuals who are Uh, whether we are rich or whether we are poor, whether we are mighty, whether we are not, whether we are wise or whether we're just not that smart in the ways of the world. Some of the highest quality Christians that I have known in the years, including individuals who are no longer with us, are individuals who weren't that smart academically, certainly had no power and certainly did not come from the upper class. Now, that doesn't mean that those who are in the upper class are individuals who are predisposed to not be faithful to God. There are warnings about those who come from money. There are warnings about those who have lots of money because it can pierce you through with many sorrows in the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to Timothy. So it's not those things, but it is these things. Verses 27 and 28, he says, but... If you like underlining things in your Bible, the word but there in verse 27 is a transition word. God has chosen. What has he chosen? He's chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. He's chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And he's chosen the base things or the insignificant, lowly, humble things which are despised. Those things God have chosen has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. So just real quickly here, he's chosen the foolish who would believe in an invisible God, some might say. He's chosen the weak or the feeble, those who are unable to thrive. You Think about the people that Jesus interacted with on a day-to-day basis. It was often the weak, the feeble, those who were unable to thrive, those who had physical Uh, Maladies that were oftentimes associated with the fact that they were involved in some kind of sin. Or, as we see famously in one of the Gospels, your parents were involved in sin, perhaps. And that's why you are the way that you are. The base. Sometimes the word that is used there is cowardly. And then fourthly, the despised. Those who are of no account. You see here that God's message is for the humble for the simple, for those who are not special in the world's sight. I don't wanna be too much of a disappointment in terms of this next point, but when you and I, let 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 me take you out of it. Let's just talk about me. I don't know at what point I'll be laid to rest, probably sometime in the next 40 to 50 years. I'm probably halfway through my life. You know, if you think of life expectancy, you know, somewhere around 79 in the United States. So if that's the case, well, I'm, I'm, I'm halfway there. Well, but when I die, my family will care. If it happens sometime soon, I'd like to think that some of you would care. You probably would. You would notice, maybe. But 50 years after the case or 100 years after the case... I can tell you, no one's going to remember me. No one's going to think about me. I'll just be laying in a graveyard somewhere hundred years from now. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not worried about that. Because life on earth is not about life on earth. It's about preparing for the life that comes hereafter. And so you may be in this, you may say, I agree with you, I'm going to be the same way. And that's, and that's okay. The world will little remember no longer what I did but perhaps they can remember what example I said or the things that we teach. God's message is for the simple, for the humble, and we need to appreciate that. The conclusion of Paul's argument here is really quite simple when he says that the base things of the world and the things which are despised, those things God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh, should glory in his presence. That which the world values as being significant or important or more important than the message of the cross will come to absolutely nothing. It Reminds me of many ways of Luke chapter 12 of that man who had all those possessions. And he says, what am I going to do with all my crops? Look how fortunate I am. Look how special I am. I'm going to tear down my barn and I'm going to build bigger barns. And everything is going to be great. And I will be able to sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. And everything is going to be wonderful for me. And what did God call him? He he used a four-letter word, right? He called him a fool. He says, you are a fool. And by the way, there's another sermon for you if you want to preach. Bible fools. What does the Bible say about being foolish? Because it's a word that is used in a very strong way. And one of the words that is used, or one of the ways that it is used, is that if you do not believe in God, you are foolish. Because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God in Psalm 14. Because he says, you're a fool because you spent all this energy and all this time and all this money in building these barns and your soul is, you've got, you've got 12 hours left and you're out of here, buddy. Who's gonna be enjoying those things that you work so hard for and we're so blessed with? What you should have done is number one, remember where the goods came from. It came from the Lord. He blessed me. And two, remember that it's not about life on earth. It's about preparing for the life that comes hereafter. That which the world underestimates will actually be all that matters. And there's an alternative version here that I don't typically read from, but I came across this a few years ago. So that in his presence, no human being might have anything to boast of. And I like that particular phrase in verse 29. That brings us to our fourth and our final observation. That is the message of the cross or God's message leads to glory. In humbly accepting the message of the cross, we become those who benefit from it. Read with me if you would one final time the last two verses. And then we'll look at one other passage here real quickly. He says, but of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Well, in a sermon where it's been all about listing different things, where Paul at least seems to me to be listing, here are the things that are not important, here are the things that are important, he comes up with a final list and a list of four things that he mentions one of those is wisdom we know that we are to seek wisdom our brother David Delk recently took us through a study of the book of Proverbs and it was a great study in part because of who the teacher was but in larger part because of the the greatness of the book itself and it is a great book seek wisdom buy wisdom sell it not go after wisdom get it Whatever it takes to get that pearl of wisdom, sell it all so that you can get wisdom because it matters more than anything else. And it reminds me of Hebrews chapter one and the sentence at the beginning of the Hebrew letter. That was what came up to me. But in it, it says, who is the brightness of his glory, verse three, the express image of his person and the upholding all things by the word of his power, That when he had purged our sins, talking about the Savior, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The first two verses, which we did not read, but you can go back and read, seem to be talking about God's manifold wisdom that in these latter days has been made known through none other than Jesus the Christ, which is why we study Jesus as much as we do. He says, secondly here is the idea of righteousness. To be righteous is to be acceptable to God. So, silly question, do you want to be acceptable to God? Well, it's a silly question because it comes with an obvious answer. I want God to accept me. You know, there's something about rejection that just feels horrible. Whether it be you're rejected by your, your fourth, fourth grade uh, playmate who doesn't want to play with you, or you're rejected by someone that you are wanting to date, or you're rejected for a job, you're rejected from the team. But the, the most serious rejection is the one that Brother John talked about this morning in Matthew chapter 25 or in John chapter 12, where Jesus says, I do not know you. Depart from me, Where 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 God the Father says that. And he says that's what really matters is preparing for that rejection. We want to be righteous so that we are acceptable to our God. Thirdly, is this idea of sanctification, where we are purified or set apart before our God. And the fourth thing in the inspired writers list is this word redemption, which is the idea of God's redeemed, His who are delivered or who are liberated. The fact is, is no flesh should boast in his presence, in verse 29. And so we don't boast of ourselves, but we are proud to be the message of glory and proud to be the recipients, not in a boastful, proud way, but in the sense that we boast in Jesus the Christ, and that's the message that we attune to, and that's the message that we share, and that's the message that I wanted to share this morning. And I conclude with this very simple question, and that is what's the message of the cross for you? Is it one of foolishness or is it one of power? And we would hope that this morning that you'll say it's power. This is a powerful message. I mean, the sermon may not be that powerful, but the text itself is powerful. And that's what I want you to walk away with. I don't care what you think about the sermon, to be honest with you, I care what you think about the text. And the fact that this message is powerful stuff, it saves you. It makes it so that one day you can stand before God on the day of judgment and be completely confident. Not arrogant, not pompous, not proud and boastful in a way wherein God's going to save me because I'm so special to him. But because of his grace and because of your obedience, you can be saved. And so if you're here and you want to know more about these things, maybe right now the message of the cross is foolishness. Let us sit down with you and talk with you so that it can be something more important and better than that and something that is meaningful and powerful. If you're ready to commit yourself to Christ by being baptized, we'd welcome the opportunity to baptize you this very morning. Everything is ready for you. We have garments for you. We have towels so that you can get dried off. We have water that is available that is actually even heated. We have everything that is ready for you to be baptized. And so there's no reason for you not to do so if that's something that you've yet to do. If you are a Christian and you've allowed the message of the world to enter your mind, to get you involved in sin and not thinking about the things that matter the most, we would welcome the opportunity to welcome you back to the fold of safety and to pray for you this morning. If we can help you in any way, let us know while we stand and while we sing.